You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't on the Savage Podcast. Hey, we're going to begin this week's show uh, with a clip from somebody else's show, but those of you who are tuning in because... You love to hear the sound of a homosexual speaking into your earbuds, speaking to you through your earbuds. You just have to have some gay in your brain. Won't be disappointed because uh, I'm just going to give you some other gay for a minute to pack into your brain. Here we go. The Barack Obama administration has been very, very, very pro-gay rights. They have pursued at every level policies to improve the lives of gay Americans and to further gay rights. It's not just repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell. It's expanding federal benefits for the same-sex partners of people who work in the executive branch. It's signing the Hate Crimes Act into law. It's clearing the way for hospital visitation rights for same-sex couples. It's lifting the travel and immigration ban for people living with HIV. It's ordering the Federal Housing Authority to not consider the sexual orientation of people who apply for housing loans. I'm going to cut Rachel off there. She goes on. There's more, including the Obama administration deciding to stop defending the indefensible and discriminatory and unconstitutional on its face Defense of Marriage Act, which is huge. Uh, the Obama administration, uh, slow out of the gate, they came in for a lot of pressure from activists and organizations and get equal. Uh, even in the end, the human rights campaign began to slap the Obama administration around. The docile and mainstream human rights campaign began to slap the Obama administration around for it's the, how it had been defending the Defense of Marriage Act. But the Obama administration has really come through for the LGBT community in so many ways that it takes Rachel Maddow probably two and a half minutes to list them all. And we're not going to play you that full two and a half minutes because, you know, copyright and whatever. Uh, but I want to play you one more little clip uh, from Rachel Maddow's comments last Tuesday night. If you are in favor of gay rights, the Barack Obama administration has been great on the issue of gay rights. While before today, never saying what the president's personal view is on same-sex couples getting married. The president actually did once share his personal view on same-sex couples getting married, but it was long before he was president. I think it was before he held any elective office at all. 1996, when he was first running for a state legislative office in Illinois, he filled out a questionnaire from a gay newspaper, which he said that he supported same-sex marriage and would fight any attempts to ban or block uh, marriage rights for same-sex couples, and he signed it, signed it with his own name. But of course, when he became a national figure, he suddenly had issues, qualms uh, about same-sex marriage and backed away from that position. He devolved away from his position of support. And there's been, you know, a lot of sturm und drang uh, about the president, about whether he supports same-sex marriage, as the issue has really roiled the country. And the president, who's really been so good on gay rights, put a lot of gay people in this position of really feeling torn between this conflict between what he said in 96, what you could infer a progressive, forward-thinking Democrat like Barack Obama must truly believe in his heart and what he was saying publicly, including things like he didn't support uh, gay marriage because he believed as a Christian uh, that when a man and a woman got married, God was in the mix, which called into question what exactly was in the mix when a gay guy married a gay guy. Sparkle lube? Like what the hell? What's in the mix then? But, you know, we're aware we're not idiots, uh, gay people. We know that politically uh, it was probably a non-starter at a national level in 2008 or 2004 
or 2000 for someone to be for same-sex marriage and win. But the polls and the times are changing. Majorities of Americans now support same-sex marriage. And the president's position, he, quote, said that he was evolving on same-sex marriage, which is the biggest, fattest wink in the world. He's evolving. Uh, was increasingly untenable as cabinet members in his own administration came out for same-sex marriage, uh, for marriage equality, as Mario Cuomo, who's a future Democratic presidential prospect, his very first act upon becoming governor of New York State, very first big legislative accomplishment was same-sex marriage. Jay Inslee running for governor, Democrat in Washington State, his very first press conference where he announced his campaign, he said he was for same-sex marriage, increasingly becoming – support for same-sex marriage, increasingly becoming the default position, the assumed position uh, of Democrats in this country. And so the president's hemming and hawing was increasingly hard to defend for the White House uh, and hard to believe and not just LGBT people who heard about that 96 or saw that 96 uh, questionnaire, just hard to believe. And then in the last week, the dam broke. Biden gave an interview where he said he was totally comfortable with same-sex marriage thanks to Will and Grace, uh, which is a throwback or reachback to the 90s. Uh, and then the president was challenged on it. And the president last Tuesday finally admitted what many of us believed to be the case all along. He is for marriage equality. This is huge. The president went on television and said he supports the right of same-sex couples to wed. He added he also supported the right of states to make up their own minds about this issue, which is kind of the fly in the ointment. It's like saying you're for interracial marriage except in those states where the states might decide not to be for interracial marriage. Uh, and I'm not the only person who brought that up and who mentioned that. But you can't discount how historic this moment is. A president of the United States has come out and said he is for the full civil equality of LGBT people. This is Huge, And this is going to make an enormous difference. We will never again have a Democrat running for national office who does not support marriage equality. This is becoming like support for choice, a foundational bedrock principle for the Democratic Party, that people have a right to control their own bodies. People have a right to love who they love and they have a right to have their relationship recognized under the law equally regardless of sexual orientation. You know, I came out of the closet in around 1982 uh, when I first started telling my friends and parents that I was a homo. And when I told my very Catholic, very family-oriented mom and dad that I was gay, I wasn't just burdening them with terrifying mental images of me with my ass in the air that it would take them uh, years to <laughs> wipe out of their brains, to erase, to delete. I was also telling my family-oriented parents that I would never marry, that I would never have children, that I could never be a Marine. And here we are just in the course of my lifetime. And I am married in Canada. Uh, and my son that Terry and I adopted together at birth 14 years ago. And now we can be Marines. We don't want to be Marines, but we can be Marines. And soon, hopefully, with these lawsuits moving through the courts, with the support of the Democratic Party, with the advocacy of the President of the United States, we will be legally married. Our marriage will be recognized not only in our home state of Washington where a gay marriage bill just passed and was signed by our Democratic governor, but federally recognized once DOMA is dead and gone. To go from 82, to go from a president like Ronald Reagan who couldn't bring himself to say the word AIDS 
as tens of thousands of Americans died. To this president, who four weeks after Terry and I launched the It Gets Better project, created an It Gets Better video of his own, who has done so much for LGBT people, as Rachel Maddow ticked off, and now has come out as fully supportive of same-sex marriage, for which he's being attacked. Rush Limbaugh, of course, is out there saying that the president is waging war on traditional marriage. This is Rush Limbaugh, who's been married four times, is accusing the president, who's been married once, of waging war on traditional marriage. Fox News said that the president has declared war on marriage. I mean, think about that for a second. What the president is saying is he'd like marriage to be a right that is available to more people. He would like to see more couples married. That's a war on marriage like passing marijuana out on the street corner is a war on drugs. Here, have some. Have some of this marriage shit. I know I shouldn't be comparing marriage to drugs. The analogy doesn't quite work. But you know where I'm going with this. You know what I mean. There's going to be a political price. I was one of those people who was saying that I believed the president in his heart was for marriage equality. I believe that I believed that his evolution was complete long ago. But that it was politically difficult and we needed to be the grown-ups about it the LGBT community. We needed to allow the president to do this dance. As I was uh, saying on Twitter just last week, right before the president made his big announcement, the president pretends not to support marriage equality and we pretend to believe him. You know, He pretends that he doesn't support marriage equality. We get out there, we scream and yell and uh, protest and make demands and pretend to believe him. We take him at his word even though we don't really think he's telling the truth. Well, now that We've successfully, the LGBT movement, uh, other Democratic governors, other Democratic politicians, uh, larger cultural forces have brought Barack Obama to this place where just before the election, he comes out and endorses marriage equality. That could cost him politically. North Carolina, the day before the president announced his support for marriage equality, passed an anti-gay marriage amendment that not just bans recognition of uh, same-sex marriages, but domestic partnerships, civil unions including the domestic partnerships that have been entered into in North Carolina by straight people. Most of the people who are going to see their domestic partnerships revoked are heterosexuals. Children are going to lose access to health insurance in North Carolina. Children not just of gay couples but also of straight couples. That passed in North Carolina by 20 points. Barack Obama won North Carolina in 2008. The 2012 Democratic National Convention is in North Carolina in part because the president – and the Democratic Party recognized that they really need to carry North Carolina again. The president is gambling with swing states like North Carolina for us, which means we have to come through for him. We have to work, volunteer, and donate to him. There has to be payback. There's going to be blowback. There's going to be backlash. There also has to be payback. Whatever your Objections, if you're queer out there listening to Sound Voice, objections to the pace of change, uh, some particulars, whatever your objections are to the Obama administration, now is the time to set them aside. Now is the time to donate and work and volunteer. Now is the time to support the president the way he has supported us. And by us, I just don't mean the queers out there. I just don't mean the homos. I mean all people who are committed to equality, which includes most straight people and certainly most of the straight people I know and certainly I hope all of the straight people who are listening to the sound of my voice right now. Your calls after this. Are you feeling frisky? Well, put frisky down and please listen. 
If you want to take your sex life to the next level, check out our friends at exandria.com. The Exandria collection has the hottest sex toys and adult movies at unbeatable prices. Enter code SAVAGE right now and get 20% off your entire order. Do it now at exandria.com. That's X A N D R I A.com. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Just go to AdamandEve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hey, Dan. This is a 25-year-old gay guy in New York City. And I am an alcoholic. So I haven't had a drink in over a year. Uh, Actually, it's been a year and a half now. And I also haven't dated in about a year and a half, and I want to get back out there. I think I've waited long enough, and um, I guess my question is, I'm taking an improv class, and I feel really comfortable around those people, and one day we were talking about silliness, like telling stories, and I preface the story with, well, I'm an alcoholic, and this is how I, fuck, I don't know, wreck my car, something like that. And a hush, like, came over the crowd, and they just, it was like they just didn't know what to say. It was really awkward, and I sort of don't think about it. Like, it's something that I think sort of makes me unique, and and I still go out, and I still do things, and it's not that big of a deal to me. Like, I kind of wear it as a badge of honor, like, yeah, I've lived, and and I've fucked up, and these are the repercussions of that, but I guess my question is, okay, how long um, should I wait to tell someone that I'm an alcoholic? I guess that experience has me a little scared to to go on a date with someone and just sort of lay it out, or I don't know, is there like a rule, like how how long should I wait? And then there's that awkward, like, let's grab a drink. And usually I'm like, of course, yeah, let's grab a drink and I get a Diet Coke or something. But they'll say, you're not getting a drink? And I'll say, "Uh, no, I don't drink. And then the why always comes in. And I'm not sure, like, is that a first date thing to, to answer that why with, you know, a specific, like, I'm an alcoholic? There's something about hearing someone say, I'm an alcoholic. That turns, you know, swapping funny stories about drinking or just socializing into potentially an AA meeting. At that moment, people aren't sure how you want them to react. They're not sure where you're at uh, with your alcoholism because of that particular way of stating it makes people feel like they're suddenly at an AA meeting. And people who aren't in AA and people who don't have drinking problems and who like to drink and sometimes like to tell stories about their escapades while they have been drinking – at that moment, aren't sure if they're going to put a foot wrong. They don't know whether to smile, to laugh, to be casual about it because I'm an alcoholic is not a casual statement. And so at that moment, people are going to kind of seize up waiting for further cues from you about how they're supposed to react. And if you're sitting there going, ooh, everyone really froze up. Now I'm not sure what to do. Then everybody in the room is paralyzed. They're waiting for more info from you about how they're supposed to react to that disclosure and you're – sort of becoming inhibited because everybody froze up. And so you don't say any more or do any more. And so what you need to do, I think, is to not, you know, pathologize yourself in that moment. Rather than saying, oh, I have this funny story about once when I was drunk and I wrecked my car, I'm an alcoholic. 
da, 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 and the rest of the story. What you do is you know, you know, I used to drink too much every once in a while and I wrecked my car. Da, da, da. They don't need to know you're an alcoholic at that moment when you're casually swapping a story with some new friends. They also don't necessarily at that moment need to know that you've stopped drinking because no one's offering you a drink at your improv class. So you can share this story without having to share the rest of it. It's just like if – and I know, maybe this isn't a bad example. But it's just like if somebody – you know, people were standing around sharing their sex stories and someone was saying, oh my god, I you know, went out this night and I did this crazy thing and I am HIV positive. Everyone at that moment would go, oh, OK. That's additional and very heavy info. And they're not going to know quite how to process that or what reaction you were going for by making that kind of important and significant disclosure at that moment when you guys were just swapping funny stories. So what I would encourage you to do is just be a little more casual about it. And this is info that you roll out on a need-to-know basis. You're not required to drink in your improv class and you're not required people who have stopped drinking to mention that or mention why when the subject comes up or even when they share a story about it. Now, when you go on a date and if a guy starts pressing you like, oh, you're just having a Diet Coke? Don't you want a real drink? I don't drink. Why don't you drink? That guy is drawing that information out and you can lay it on him and he's going to have to take some responsibility for getting that disclosure at that moment. Maybe it was too soon. But you're not required to disclose in advance. I think if somebody says, let's go out for a drink, you can say, yeah, I'd love to go out for a drink. And you can drink a club soda. That is a beverage. That is something people drink. Or you can drink a Diet Coke. You don't have to. And it sounds like you're not. At the moment, drinks are suggested saying, oh, I'd love to have something to drink, but I can't drink alcohol because I am an alcoholic. I would date an alcoholic. I am an alcohol fan, not an alcoholic. Uh you don't have to disclose that you're an alcoholic any more than the guy who's asking you out or the guy that you're asking out is required to disclose that like an Anglophile, he is a alcophile. Just go have a drink. And as it comes up, you disclose these things on a need-to-know basis. What people want first, the first interactions, is just to see that you have good judgment, that you're fun to hang out with. And sometimes a premature disclosure of whatever is – Evidence will be taken as evidence of bad judgment, not that there should be any stigma attached to being an alcoholic who is no longer drinking. The stigma should be attached to alcoholics who are still drinking. There should be no stigma attached to having HIV and disclosing it. There should be no stigma attached to being gay uh, or anything else uh, that's relevant that someone that you're dating or interested in might need to know or might have a right to know. Uh, what people want to see though is that you're going to roll this information out in a way that's sensitive to – what's appropriate to their feelings, to the moment, and just blurting out, I am an alcoholic every time you're asked out for a drink or any time a drinking story comes up uh, casually with friends or people you've just met, that can be taken as evidence of bad judgment, poor timing, whatevs. So go out there and have your club sodas. Disclose appropriately and booze is great. And I just want to say that I'm so glad I'm not an alcoholic because, God, I love alcohol. But I love it just enough. I, I love it in the right way. But you always feel really weird when you say that. You know, I love alcohol. I love a good drink. Um, but I don't love it so much that I want to crawl into a bottle and swim around in it. But good for you, caller. Good for you that you identified the problem and you've stopped drinking and I totally support you are not drinking. There are some alcoholics in my family uh, and I respect them and admire them. In particular, I admire uh, that they're not afraid to go into bars, that they can go into bars and have – a drink um, that is an alcoholic with friends and family, uh, that at family events they can hang out and they can have mocktails and whatever else they want to drink while other people have uh, booze and nobody makes anybody feel bad or uncomfortable or awkward in either direction. 
at those moments. And you can get there too. Are you ready for some mind-blowing sex? Then check out our friends at exandria.com. The Exandria Collection has the hottest sex toys for men and women at unbeatable low prices. They've been putting smiles on faces for more than 35 years, and everything they sell comes with a 100% satisfaction guarantee and is delivered with absolute discretion. Whether you're single, in a relationship, or just bored, they'll put a zip in your step. At least in your step. Guaranteed. Don't settle for ordinary, experienced, truly orgasmic sex. Shop now and save 20% off your entire order. Just enter code SAVAGE during checkout. Start shopping now at exandria.com. That's X-A-N-D-R-I-A dot com. Hi, Dan. This is um, Miriam from Washington, D.C. Um, I uh, was dating a guy. We went on six dates uh, within three weeks, and everything was clicking. It it was really great. Um, At the end of each date, he would ask me what I was doing for the next week, and we'd set up something for the next date. He was pretty consistent with calling, um, and we just, um, we had the same sense of humor. We had, we started having little inside jokes, and then he just dropped off the face of the earth. And um, our our last date was a picnic with um, his brother and the brother's girlfriend and a couple of their friends, and he never called. Um, And I, I emailed him. Um, and he, right before, um, the day of this, uh, group thing, and he said he wouldn't be able to make it, um, and he offered to do something the next day at an odd time, um, that didn't work for me, um, but I said, let's plan for another time, and then it, it had been, um, a week and a half since, since I said, uh, let's plan for another time, and, uh, so it had been a week and a half. Uh, so last night I gave him a call. He didn't pick up. Um, it just rang to voicemail, and I left a message. And it's it's been over 24 hours since then, and I've seen him um, on GChat, so I know he's alive. Um, uh, and I just I'm just completely baffled. Um, during while we were dating, he said things like, "Oh, well, if we work out, uh, if this works out, I'll I'll take you. Um, I'll, I'll, we can travel together." Um, and he just gave me compliments that were like really endearing and really, uh, I felt, uh, made a real connection with who I am and, um, I am just baffled. And I guess my question now is, so I called, um, I, I called him just to say hi and, and I said, Hey, it's been a while. Just calling to say hi, call me back anytime. Um, if I don't hear from him. I mean, is should I just accept that as closure enough and, like, never know what happened? Or should I try one more time and say, like, motherfucker, you owe me closure? You got dumped. You got dumped the way most people get dumped, particularly people who date male people, which is radio silence. And you're supposed to read into that, the fact that they don't want to date you anymore. And that sucks and it hurts and people should have – the balls to say, you know, I just don't think this is going anywhere. And that's not going to hurt any less. It's not going to hurt any less than the super secret silent radio silence dumping that you experienced. Uh, Closure comes because you make it happen. Closure isn't something that someone else grants you. You make up your mind to be done with this. You close the thing yourself. You slam the door yourself and you walk away from it. You say, well, I can't know what he's not telling me, but obviously he's not into me. Obviously we're not dating anymore. The end done. I'm going to date some other motherfuckers now. That's all you can do. Uh, Yeah, you, you can call him and sort of 
angrily demand an answer, brace yourself, as I've told other people who've called into the show asking the same question, because you might not like what you hear. What you've got right now is he's an asshole. That's pretty good for closure. That, well, I was really wrong about him. He's an asshole. Done with him. What you might get if you demand more from him, if you demand the reason, is you might hear things that make you cry, that shred your self-esteem, that leave you feeling vulnerable and insecure about dating anyone else ever. So leave it alone. He, the closure's sitting right there. It's just nonverbal closure. You've been dumped. It's over. It was only six dates. Be done. Hey, Dan. I was just wondering what your advice was for all those gay guys who have crushes on straight men who constantly flirt with us. This kid has been really flirtatious for a couple of months now, and every time I bring it up or confront him, he's just like, dude, I'm totally straight. Not that way, but he insists on flirting with me. I'd love to know what you think about that. Thanks. This is one of the unexpected consequences of the decline in homophobia, particularly in young straight men, is straight guys, uh, many of them are now so comfortable with gay people, with their gay friends, with gay desire, that they kind of enjoy the attention or the reaction that they can get from a gay guy who's clearly physically attracted to them, that they can wind him up. Used to be, you know, when I was your age, when I was young and gay, that the only kind of person who would flirt with you if you were openly gay was a closet case who was doing the hiding in plain sight thing. I, you know you want me. They would want you to run at them because they would want you to catch them. And eventually you would. You would get these guys. These guys were all gay. These guys who were flirting with their gay friends and then being like, no, dude. We didn't say dude then, but no, man, I'm straight. In the end, they were all gay. In the end, uh, we were all gay in their ends. But today, it's really different. Today, there are these young, hot, straight guys who are into their gay friends and aren't threatened or insecure about uh, being lust objects or, or having their asses looked at the way they look at women's asses. Uh, and they can really torture their gay friends to death. And for them, flirting is this harmless, stupid, fun, a way of showing affection to their gay friends. When in reality, you know, in cases like yours, it's torture. So you've called him on it multiple times. He's made it clear that he's straight. Uh, how do you get him to stop flirting with you? You stop having any reaction. You have to will yourself to be completely blank. Don't give him the attention that he wants. He wants to see you panting uh, with lust. He wants to crank you up. Don't let him. And if you can't be with him without having those feelings, and, and this makes you feel terrible, then don't hang out with him. But if being with him and, and, and kind of gives you a charge and you sort of enjoy the prick tease that goes on and you get to beat off about him later, well, then there's something in it for both of you. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Go to adamandeve.com and order almost any one item at 50% off. Choose a new adult toy, lube, or almost anything from over 18,000 adult products. Then at checkout, enter offer code SAVAGE and you'll get to choose three free adult DVDs. That's right. You get to choose your own DVDs. Plus, receive a free mystery gift and free shipping on your entire order. Choose from all kinds of genres for both gay and straight folks. And now you can also shop on your mobile phone at Adam and Eve. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hi, so I am in my 30s and I'm bisexual and I'm married to another bisexual. I've got a couple of kids and a great job. And I just want to say that um, 
Dan, I think you are right on about bisexual folks in general. I just got finished listening to podcast number 288, and it was awesome. And I think anybody who gives you a hard time is way too touchy. Also, I love the idea of bisexuals marrying other bisexuals. It's really worked great for us. But I do have a question about coming out. So... I'm married to a woman. I have not had a lot of sex partners. It's not like I have any ex-boyfriends who are going to, you know, come on over and I'm going to introduce them to my friends. Oh, yeah, this is Troy. Me and him used to be a thing. You know, it feels telling other people that I'm bi feels like revealing some kind of, like, private sex thing. It's like, you know, because it's about, it feels like it's so much about sex and not about relationships. It's like, look, you see me married to a woman, you figure she and I have sex, Right. But then, you know, it's like if I tell you I'm bisexual, what I'm basically saying is, hey, you know, I also might like to suck cock. And, like, that's a bit much to say to my family and my coworkers. It feels too intimate. You know, if it comes up in passing, right, like, you know, for example, I was actually at a talk of yours recently, and you said, all the straight people in the audience, raise your hands, you know, and I didn't raise my hands. And I was there with some coworkers and people I know, and they probably noticed me not raising my hand, right? And a circumstance like that, I'm fine with it. I'm, I'm happy if people sort of find out in a natural way. I wish I had ex-boyfriends who would come over and, you know, and, and, and people could meet them and, you know, it's that kind of, those folks are far away and that's not going to happen. But, um, you know, if that did happen, then, you know, that would be a natural, easy way. It just feels like a bit, I don't know how to drop it in a conversation. That's, that's my concern. So I'm, I, I'm not, I feel like I'm passively in the closet. Everyone assumes I'm straight. I feel like to tell them otherwise is, so it just feels icky, like my family, like, ay, 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 like they don't want to know anything about my sex life. You know, in the town I live in, in the family I have, you know, being, being queer is, is like, is, is cool, right? It's the good thing. So I almost feel like it would be like this, this kind of weird, like me too, me too, like my gay family members. I just, I feel weird kind of be like, yeah, you know, you assumed I was straight all these years. I'm married to a, you know, a woman and everything, but actually, no, me too. I'm bi. I just, I don't want to look like a poser. You know, for a long time, uh, gays and lesbians would talk about the fact that so many people who were bi, who were in opposite sex, long-term relationships, benefited in this huge way from, uh, you know, heterosexual privilege or perceived heterosexuality and the privileges that brought. And I think what we're getting to, what we're drilling down to here on the podcast as this topic keeps rolling around, is that this is actually a burden for a lot of bi people who would like to be out. Uh, but they don't know exactly how to be out because they feel like it's going to sexualize a conversation. And it really is kind of a, 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 a cross that bisexual people have to bear that if you don't want to access that sort of heterosexual privilege, if you don't want to benefit from being perceived to be heterosexual or rubs you the wrong way to be perceived to be heterosexual, the onus is on you to out yourself almost constantly. You're going to have to tell people that you're bi and your hang up is that that's a sexual conversation that's going to sexualize or it's kind of dirty. And I want to encourage you to, to not regard it that way because you're not telling anybody what you do in bed. You're just letting them know who you do in bed. And that's sexual identity. That's not sexual acts. 
you know, I, I sleep with men. I don't – not telling you how, not telling you what, uh, really not giving you any information that you don't have about, you know, the people across the street who are straight. You know, what, what happens is people walk around during the day and during their lives. Uh, unless somebody's obviously gay or sending out a lot of signals that they're gay, they're going to be perceived to be straight. When you're perceived to be straight, nobody goes, I perceive you to be straight and now I am going to sit here on the bus next to you picturing you doing all sorts of crazy-ass heterosexual Sex things. People just perceive you to be straight. Uh, when you tell them you're gay, some people then immediately go to picturing all the crazy sex shit. They get over that pretty quickly though, especially when they meet more gay people. They suddenly realize that they don't have to picture their, the gay people they know doing gay shit any more than they picture their straight friends doing straight shit, which they don't picture. Uh, so you don't have to feel this inhibition about telling people you're bi. If, they, if you tell someone you're bi and then they spend the day picturing you doing same-sex shit – uh, that's their problem and they'll get over it pretty quick. You're not sexualizing that interaction, that conversation, that relationship you had with the person that you just came out to. They may sexualize that conversation but that's on them. You're just telling them the truth about your sexual identity. You're not telling them anything about your sexual history, about the sex acts you enjoy, about the sex you're going to enjoy that night or with whom you're going to enjoy it. You're just coming out to them as bi and you really do need as a bi person – in an opposite sex relationship, which so many bi people are, the onus is on you guys to face down your fears, to power through these awkward hesitations, these inhibitions, and be out. You know, I was just on Savage U last week talking to a girl who's bi, lesbian identified, but bi, began to date a man, lost all of her friends. Uh, you know, she was getting all this grief from the kids in her queer group. Uh, because it turns out that she wasn't a lesbian, that she was bi, that she sometimes liked to be with guys. And she was kind of being persecuted for it by a bunch of insecure, dumb fuck lesbos who are projecting their bullshit onto her. Uh, that kind of shit isn't going to stop until more people know that they know bi people. And it's really up to bi people to bring that world about. More people will know they know bi people when more bi people are out to more people that they know. So you defaulting to this into this closet because it's easy is making the problem that's keeping you in the closet worse. It's going to perpetuate uh, these inhibitions and, and this thing that you fear. You're, you're building it. You're nailing that closet door shut because you're afraid that it's a sexual conversation to tell somebody about your sexual identity. That is not a sexual conversation. You're just telling them who you do, not what you do with who you do. It's totally different. So be out. There are three times – studies of people's sexual orientation show there are three times as many bi women as lesbians. Fewer lesbians would be crazy, scared, stupid about bi women and fewer straight people would be homophobic, uh, LGBT-phobic generally if they knew more of these people who were bi. Same goes for bi guys. You got to be out. Everything that you complain about, everything that bi people cite as what keeps them in – the only way to fix all that shit is to be out. Hi, um, this is a 28-year-old female. I've been married for three years with my husband for seven. We have a small um, toddler. Uh, my question is, my husband had an affair about a year ago, and we had really moved past it. Um, at the time, however, I was pretty um, devastated is the best word to use. I'm really upset about the situation. Um, I thought he wanted out of the marriage. 
but that didn't seem to be the case. We worked on some things. We had a young daughter at the time. It was kind of stressful. Um, the good thing that happened, though, is during, it was only like a three-week affair. affair. Um, he was just having, a, like, occasional encounters with her. He met her maybe three times. But during that time and immediately after the affair, after I found out about it, we had amazing sex. <laughs> we, um just really reconnected. I felt emotionally raw during that time. I felt, you know, primal. I felt like I just needed to take him back for my own. And um, something about that was just really invigorating. And um, even before the affair, you know, in our relationship and since the affair, we have talked about having an open marriage for that very reason, I guess, because it was thrilling and exciting. And I don't have a strong desire to do it, but I think that it would be interesting and I could do it. However, my husband, he more so is against it than me because he thinks that he will become too emotionally involved. Um, and I agree that he would. Um, he gets a little obsessed. And it would have to be anonymous sorts of sex, for, I think, for us to really be able to do this. Um, and I don't want to do that because that just doesn't seem safe to me. And also, um, you know, I don't want him to become emotionally involved with someone else. I do want to stay married to him. So how can we recapture what we get out of having um, the affair? So how can we get that back? The only way to get that back by having an open marriage? Is there another way to do that? So how are things since you recorded your call? Are things any better or worse? Well, I mean, things have been, you know, I mean, things have been fine. I mean, it was a year, over a year ago since this happened. I mean, we have been... And I feel like we've grown a lot since then. I think it was really actually ended up being good for our marriage. I think we were taking a lot of things for granted. Mm -hmm. So since then, I mean, we've been doing really well. Um, but things have settled I mean, down in the sex department. That was what the call was about. That when you, when the affair well, was yeah, going on. Yeah, no, I mean, it wasn't like things have completely, I mean, we still are having good sex, but it wasn't anything like right after <laughs> the initial you're not, the, cheating, you're not the first person to report that kind of experience. I've heard from many people over the years, uh, couples that have survived, particularly an infidelity, uh, that in the immediate aftermath of the discovery and the negotiation, the closure, that their sex life just took off again, that suddenly things were uninhibited and raw and they were fucking each other like they might never see each other again. Which yeah, is yeah. which is how people feel at that moment. They fucked the mm -hmm. shit out of each other. Suddenly couples that for a long time had settled into a, a, a sexual routine and it was about intimacy and comfort are fucking each other like strangers because they feel like yeah, strangers yeah. to each other again. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like suddenly your husband. Yeah, had... no, definitely. I mean, I, that's, I agree with all. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> so if you want to get <laughs> and back. I felt to... like there was a primal instinct to, you know. To, to keep him or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like to, to get him back. And you miss those feelings, that, that you miss that intensity. And so the trick for you guys is if you don't want to open the relationship, which a lot of people in open relationships say that they still have that feeling, you know, manipulating uh, sperm competition syndrome or, you know, that feeling of repossessing your partner after they've been with somebody else. That's what a lot of people in organized swinger and open relationships are doing for and with each other. They're manipulating that very feeling that kind of slammed into your marriage uh, in a non-consensual yeah. way, just but in a consensual way, manipulating those feelings of jealousy and ownership and primacy. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a way, though, for you to bring back that intensity uh, without infidelity and without openness, because what it was about was rawness and risk. 
right? That yeah. the relationship felt yeah. like it was at stake and you fucked each other like strangers. Like mm-hmm. your husband had a knowable depth and so did you. And you can yeah. build that into a long-term relationship without others and without cheating. But it requires yeah. effort and thought. Yeah. And risk-taking, which is hard when you have kids. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's hard to get, to work in a blowjob here and there. It's hard to work in some quickie missionary position sex at the end of an exhausting day when you have kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, and like I said, we don't want to be, we're not in, I, yeah, we don't want to do the monogamous thing, at least right now. And, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that we have a kid and it's just, it just doesn't seem right for us in yeah. the way we live our life right now. Okay, and I hope. But it, it doesn't it, mean it wouldn't happen down the line. Well, it felt right for your husband at some point. He kind of made a unilateral um, choice to be monogamous without you exactly. having the right to be monogamous. Of course. No, of course it did. It did. And it was totally different too then because it wasn't a, in a mutual decision. It was a. Uh, right. It was not the same. But you can see now, I mean, here's part of the problem. You can see now it wasn't a mutual decision, not consensual, da-da-da. Like this kind of negotiated sex is, you know, things being very hashed out and da-da-da-da. That's one of the things that can make sex boring for a long-term committed couple, that everything ends up being a treaty that's been hammered out by various committees at the UN. It can seem as cold and dull as that. And what you guys have Mm -hmm. to do is some sexual bungee jumping and adventuring together. Where yeah. you're busting things out on him, he's busting things out on you. You guys are surprising each other. Identify all your sex routines and forbid them. Okay. And they are they are verboten. Okay. They are not kosher. If you've only you only have sex in a certain position, that position is no longer permissible. If you only have sex in your bedroom, okay. that's off limits. If you aren't exploring your kinks together, you guys need to like start. Okay. And you okay. need to start fucking in public. You need to start fucking at work. You need to start fucking at different times <laughs> of the day. You need to start fucking where you might get caught. You need to, you know, have mom come in and get a weekend away and go go to a place where you can go to a swingers club or you can go to uh, a strip club or someplace, a sexualized kind of erotic environment, even though you're going to be only together and leave together and only touch each other. But you're going to pick up on that yeah. vibe and that energy and then go fuck the shit out of each other. But you need to take all that sort of comforting, lovey-dovey, huggy, sweetie pie, marital sex routine shit and throw it in the garbage. Okay. And then bring it back. After like six months, bring that shit back. That shit's nice too. Like that kind of like – No, it is. It's just just different. It's just – Yeah, it's cinnamon toast sex. That's nice too. But if you've been (laughs) subsisting on a diet of that for years – the way to like make to, the way to convince you guys, the way to convince each other that you don't have to only have that kind of sex or default to that kind of sex, and, and the only way to prevent yourselves from defaulting every time to that kind of cinnamon toast comfort food sex is to forbid it. You are not allowed yeah. to have sex like that for six months. Okay. Every time, and, okay. and if that means like three weeks go by where you guys can't fuck because you can't find the time to get out of the house to go do something crazy, then you don't fuck. Then we just don't do it. You like let right. the erotic tension build until because you have to make it happen, one of you figures out a way to make it fucking happen. And you can bring that intensity back. You can bring that feeling of risk and danger and anything goes and I'm going to fuck you like I might never see you again. You can bring all that into your married sex life consensually and monogamously. Okay. But it's going to require some effort and thought and planning. Yeah. Yeah, but nothing, nothing we can't do. It sounds doable. <laughs> it sounds great. It sounds hot, doesn't it? <laughs> when you guys have sex, is it always in your bed? Uh, yeah. Is it yeah. always? I mean, we're pretty. I mean, occasionally we have sex like in a shower or something, but not that often. Okay. You know? 
Dan Savage says, no sex in your bed, no sex in the shower. No sex in the bed, no sex in the shower. Okay. Do you live in a house? Yes, we do. Have sex on your roof sometime. All right. At night. Like, then the neighbors are asleep. Just go outside in your yard and fuck. All right. I like it. In the dirt. Get fucking messy and then use the shower to clean up after. Just go break your routine. Shatter your routines. Do something dangerous. All right. I, I like this idea. I've wanted to do it. I've wanted to have public sex in the car or somewhere. I've never done that before. I never got to do that when You're I was not getting either, any so. younger. I know. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't mean to insult you, but I've always wanted to have public sex and I haven't. What's wrong? That's fucked up. No, I know. I know. Go do it. All right. All right. I want to call back from you tomorrow saying I have gravel embedded in the small of my back because we went and fucked in the yard. <laughs> Thanks, Savage. <laughs> I'll have it on my knees. I'm going to rouge my knees. <laughs> Good luck, you two. You can get there. You can do this. And, and you know what? I really want to thank you for weathering the, the infidelity. You know, I think we need a yeah. cultural reset where long-term loving, committed couples, that an infidelity is something that can be forgiven and worked through and even yeah. it should be acknowledged sometimes can strengthen and reestablish oh, yeah. an intense sexual connection between yeah. long-term partners. We made a commitment thank you for not and- divorcing. Thank you for not walking out. Thank you for being the grown-up. Tell your husband I said hey. Oh, I will. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks. You're welcome. Hi, I'm calling in response to the podcast that just aired this week um, about the woman who felt like she was getting short-shifted because she was willing to put out the first or second date. I'm kind of the same thing. I call it being slut-zoned. It's like being friend-zoned, only um, you get dismissed as a slut, even though you're really just sex positive. So just wanted to lend my support and uh, see if anybody else feels like they've been slut-zoned. Hey, Dan, with regards to 290, I think that there are plenty of straight guys who don't necessarily want to fuck on the first date for reasons that have nothing to do with some sort of slut-shame rationale. I think that the caller there should be willing to give the guys a few dates, two, three dates before she writes them off. Um, not every guy necessarily wants to fuck on the first date. Certainly that there are people with those kinds of views, but not everyone for sure. Thanks. Hi, this is a comment for the girl in episode 290 who said that she was a girl who likes to sleep with people on the first date and really likes sex and was concerned that people weren't wanting to be her boyfriend because she did that. And I am just calling to tell her that she should totally just hold out for someone who thinks that that's awesome because I also spent about six months sleeping with guys on the first date and having a couple of dates and kind of, you know, hooking up a couple of times and then things not really going anywhere. Um, and then I found a guy who I slept with on the first date and it was totally casual and we both didn't really want anything serious and now five months later he is my boyfriend and things are awesome and so I just wanted to tell her that there totally is hope and that she should hold out for what she wants because it is not crazy or unreasonable to want sex and to like sex and to go for it so I hope that she is having an awesome time and sleeping with people and having fun and that she finds love in the end 
And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a call. You can follow me. You must follow me on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Please be watching Savage U on MTV on Tuesday nights at 11 p.m. 10 p.m. Central. Every week we play two or three comments from callers about previous shows. Uh, if you want to make sure your comment is out there for all to read, you can go to thestranger.com slash lovecast. Uh, there's a comment thread attached to every show. Even if you have nothing to say, the comment threads are hilarious and fun and insightful. My listeners and my readers are smarter than I am in many ways, and I often learn something when I dive into the comments myself. 206-201-2720, that's the number. Me and the tech savvy at-risk youth. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading. <laughs>